Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hi there. Welcome to The Call. It's great to be here with you. We are live at noon hour here in Sydney. So this is the program, 10 stocks picked by you, two expert guests over one hour. I'm Nadine Blaney, just sitting in for David Kosh today. Well, we may as well get to it, shall we? We've got two expert guests joining us here, Gaurav Sodi from The Intelligent Investor and Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. Good afternoon to you both. Hey, Gaurav, how are you feeling toward the market, I guess, on this Monday afternoon? Uh, Nadine, I thought you were asking about my general welfare, but no, it's the market. Yeah, look, I am really distracted by the end of year and Christmas, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it, can't, it can't come soon enough. This has been a punishing year in terms of um, up and ups and downs, and um, and I wouldn't mind a break. But um, you, uh, and everyone's both, you and me both. <laughs> I hope there's more than the two of us. I hope there's more. <laughs> Henry, Look, everyone's yeah, go ahead, Gora. Everyone's talking about inflation, and I don't have uh, any special insight um, which way that's going to go. But I agree that that is where the debate needs to be. Inflation interest rates are going to have a huge determination about where stock prices go in the next little while. Um, I just wish I could add sensibly to that debate. Um, watch it closely and read as much as you can. We are inflation obsessed, U.S. Treasuries obsessed. <laughs> We're also thinking about a Santa Claus rally. Henry, are you in Team Santa Rally? <laughs> um, hi, Nadine. Hi, Gaurav. I think you have to be in Team Santa only because the weight of the market tends to be on your side this time of year. And I know we're all really busting for the end of year this year. It's been a tough year and uh, I've no exception looking forward to the end of the year. Looking forward to a break actually next week. So that is good because it'll be the first break for, um, for some time. But yeah, I, I think we're still in for a Santa Claus rally. At the moment, the sector that's really holding us back, and it's such a big part of the market, is the banking sector. We had those results from CBA, those results from Westpac, both of which really sort of hammered that sector. And when you look at the market today, you know, we're down 24 points or whatever, and a lot of that is in the banks. The rest of the market doesn't actually look too bad. So I think we are going to see Santa arrive, but I think Santa this year is going to have some issues with the supply chain. And I think Santa is going to be more selective in the presence that he brings investors rather than uh, just a big sack full of fun. I think we're going to be a little bit more discerning in the presence that we get. So I think stock selection is very important. Okay. Well, we'll get to some stock selection in just a tick then, shall we? Look, I'm looking forward to the next uh, 50-something minutes to come with you guys. I will start with the stock of the day, though. It is Nickel Mines. Its ticker code is NIC, and at this stage of this Monday session, it is the best performer on the 200. It's up by 6.3% after extending an MOU arrangement with Shanghai Deceit. 
It is agreeing to purchase a 70% stake in the Oracle Nickel project as well. So NIC will pay 370 million US dollars for the stake, as well as provide another 150 million US dollars in construction funding. So again, it is the expansion of the strategic partnership with this MOU that's happening with Shanghai Descent. Now, gentlemen, look at that chart for nickel mines there. I'll start with you, Gaurav. What do you think about nickel mines being the stock of the day and whether or not you buy it today? <laughs> it has come across my radar a few times, mostly from enthusiastic fanboys kind of mentioning it to me and me, I think, quite naively dismissing it. And, and I think that kind of reaction tells you um, a lot about the stock. The actual assets themselves are large, complicated laterite operations. And in nickel, you really want to be careful with the big laterite ore body because it needs very specific processing that is difficult um, and risky. And that's what these guys have kind of maneuvered themselves into. I much prefer a nice, simple sulfide nickel body, which you can get from, from Western areas. Um, so I've never really uh, paid too much attention to this, but look, hats off to the management here. This has been an extraordinary display of entrepreneurialism and hustle from the management. They've, it's, it's a newish business and they've just done a fantastic job parlaying from one asset to another and doing it smartly with good deals. I've, I've been really impressed with the management, not as much, not so much impressed with the nickel uh, ore bodies, but I think that's a lot of my hang-ups from from um, old mistakes investing in laterite ore bodies in the past. So I'm going to give it a miss, but very impressed with management. I can understand why you're in there, um, and um, and it's it is worthwhile watching closely what they do from here because they've they've uh, they've come from nowhere and ended up actually um, producing more nickel than than BHP, which is an impressive scorecard. Yes. Now it's nickel pig iron, uh, from what I understand. So are you of the same thinking, Henry, that it comes down to the ore, the ore body, uh, despite how well the company is executing strategically? Uh, yeah, Nadine, I think it is about the ore body. It's also about the sovereign risk. Indonesia is somewhat uh, mercurial to do business in at times. As Gaurav says, they've done a pretty good job so far in in parlaying it and you know that this deal does look good the market clearly likes it but at the end of the day the stock code and the name of the company is crucial nickel mines when people are looking at their nickel exposure there's very few pure plays uh, and nickel mines always pops up great code uh, and people it's kind of the go-to one at times when you see a spike in the nickel price and we did see a little bit of um, bullishness emerging in nickel over the um, over the weekend so that is good for these guys the deal looks good and although they're not raising money at the moment when you look at the timetable uh, which goes into next year you know by December the 31st 2022 uh, they're going to have invested 463 million US dollars in this and by March uh, 2023 it's going to be 525 million US dollars so that money's got to be coming from somewhere it does look a good deal, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them tap shareholders along the way for this deal. But um, no, I prefer and we prefer Poseidon Nickel and also um, Panoramic as well, which is just getting their Savannah project back online. But Poseidon Nickel also having a good run today on a positive announcement. So those are two others to consider. Western Areas has always been the go-to one, but it has got a big short position in it. And it also has this uh, on again, off again, I don't know what the status is at the moment, 
of the IGO takeover play. So that that sort of uh, muscled up and then went very quiet. So there's there's I guess three others that you could play in the sector. I just I'm always a bit wary of Indonesia. That's um, you know they can change the rules sometimes, and uh, that can have a somewhat detrimental effect. We saw that last year, I guess, or earlier this year when the rules did change and. Uh, exports of nickel it was considered strategic and they weren't going to let it to be exported and that saw the share price fall from around a dollar fifty to a dollar so there are those concerns i think so i'd probably rather go with poseidon panoramic or even western areas for that takeover appeal as well yep gorev to clarify you'd prefer western areas in that space indeed and it's a good point that henry raises there about indonesia i once owned a gold miner in indonesia and woke up one morning to find that the government had forced them to sell the asset back to the government at a predetermined price, and that is not at all unusual. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an important point to remember that you're taking on a lot of sovereign risk as well. Got it. Thank you. That was the stock of the day, Nickel Mines. Now let's get to the first company that's been nominated by you, our viewers. If you would like to send us a suggested stock to review, you can do that at the call at osbiz.com.au. Veeam is on the list because of John. He says the company dipped significantly following its AGM, update on its capital raise, and notes that the founders offloaded a whole bunch of shares. Now, note the founders offloaded their shares prior to making this uh, downgrade um, evident to the market. So, yeah, the AGM flagged some challenges since the start of 22. Uh, so, yeah, the family trust apparently made $14 million from that September sale. Uh, Gaurav, that sounds like a pretty negative story for Veeam. What do you make of it? Yeah, look, it's not a great look, but yeah, there is some context to this. The founders actually own a massive chunk, I think about half the business. And as the, the company grows, it's got a really nice piece of new technology. And as the company grows, it needs to provide some liquidity to the market. So investors have been crying out for more liquidity in this stock. And I don't think it's it's a terrible idea for them to sell a little bit of stock to allow that liquidity to, to come into the market. I, I think this is a lot less pernicious than it looks. And uh, I know the stock has been punished, but I don't think it's as bad as it looks. Now, the story here is really interesting. The business founded in the late 60s by a married couple, and they started doing engineering work for vessels. But in 2011, they actually bought out a little gyro business that was set up by some ex-Ostel employees. And that business has come up with a, a really high quality, revolutionary gyro product, which they're now trying to put into vessels of medium size and large size all around the world. Now, gyros are a little devices that help stabilize ships so you don't feel the movement back and forth and it makes the passenger journey much more comfortable. Veeam reckons um, they have the most powerful gyros in the world. Um, they're already used by some of the biggest um, cruise ships, uh, shipbuilders rather, in the world. And the potential market size is just enormous, about over a billion dollars. Um, they do have a legitimately differentiated product and they've actually built the manufacturing to get this product out at scale. So there's a bit, quite a bit of excitement about this. Um, I guess it doesn't really hasn't really translated into the financials, which look really poor, admittedly. But it needs a bit of time to actually get their production up and running, the distribution and sales um, humming. So I, I'd be patient with this. I think there's an interesting opportunity here. Um, it's aside from the gyro product, you can see a lot of innovation historically in this company. 
Um, a couple of years ago, when we first looked at it, about a third of its products um, were sold on patent. And that's actually increased about two thirds of the last few years. So there's a, there's a whole pipeline of interesting stuff going on in this company. I'm going to go with hold. I think you can make a case for intelligent speculation on Veeam. It has some qualities that remind me a bit of uh, PWR and ARB, but um, it has a long way to go to prove itself to be in that exalted company. So hold for now, but interesting business. I can see a justification for being a speculative position. Thank you. Get yeah, We've spoken with Veeam a number of times, and it serves not only ferries, but those really, really high-end yachts that are being built. It's talked about a very tight labor market in WA. Um, you know, really being a challenge to recruit employees and get people to work on the company because, of course, they do do some local manufacturing as well. Or is it in the too hard basket for you, Henry? Because if you're not making money on on the one uh, percent at this time, I mean, what's going wrong? Uh, yeah, I guess th this is a bit of a Jerry Maguire kind of stop for me. This is a show me the money, and at the moment, as as Gaurav rightly points out, lots of clever technology. But uh, really and truly, the numbers aren't really sufficient to get that excited about it just yet. Selling down some of the stock prior to a downgrade, which they would have known about, I've got to say, uh, it wouldn't have come as a big shock to them. They were finding getting staff and uh, the skills a problem. So, yeah, I, that, that's not a good look as far as I'm concerned. It does increase the liquidity, which is good. And even today, there's sort of a million shares traded. The company did raise money at $1.18. So I think, you know, that was obviously opportunistic. And then uh, you have the founder selling as well. So it's it's going to struggle, I think, to uh, to get back to those sort of uh, $1.10, $1.20 heights just at the moment with that overhang there. And to me, this kind of falls into the um, electro-optic systems basket to some extent. EOS, the stock code there, you know, it's got really clever technology. It's got great things happening. The gyroscope is, is fantastic. But show me the money, guys. And they just seem to be having some issues with uh, with productivity, with, with lumpiness of sales. And it's just, I think for me, it's probably more... Uh, for the patient investor, I'm not sure I have the patience for this one at the moment. Maybe it's a, a reopening play on COVID, but uh, attracting that staff gets expensive. Attracting those salespeople gets expensive. So I'm just going to avoid it for the time being, I think. Fair enough. Let's move on then to number two on our list. This is Mount Gibson Iron from Gary. He says, what's the view on MGX? It's been in a steep downward trend lately. He reckons much more than other iron ore miners. Let's just keep the pattern going with you, Gaurav. I mean, we know the pressure that iron ore has been coming under. So what is it that's specific to Mount Gibson, I suppose, that would see it even further underperform the price? Yeah, this is a pretty pure iron ore exposed business. Um, it only produces uh, two or three million uh, tons of iron ore a year, which is just tiny in terms of um, global scale. But, you know, by comparison, Rio make, that produces uh, 360 million tons. Um, you know, so this is a very small operation, but it does, it looks optically phenomenally cheap. It's a, you know, 400 million market cap, half its market cap is in cash. 
and um, it's a, it has a little hematite operation. The hematite is a, is a um, is the best quality I know. It's the kind of stuff you can just dig up with a shovel, throw in the back of a truck, and and export without much processing. And it's quite cheap. And and that operation is likely to continue being in business. They'll make okay margins from it. Um, it'll continue generating cash flow. But the second operation, which is um, a smaller operation, it's a really high cost uh, production over there. It's called the Midwest Project. I think it's already been cancelled. If it hasn't been shuttered, it will be very soon because that is a high cost operation, around $100 a ton. They won't be making much money out of that at all. Um, and, and that goes to the, the problem here that, that these small iron ore miners that don't really have the scale or the logistics or the infrastructure are wonderful when the iron ore price is booming, but are, are quite disastrous when the iron ore price isn't. And they always look perpetually cheap. So they they act as wonderful magnets to the uninitiated in iron ore. Look, if, if you're a believer in iron ore, um, Deterra is probably the best exposure you can get on the market. It's a stock that we've looked at and looking at carefully now. Every time I come on the show, I keep speaking about MinRes, which I just think is one of the best businesses in Australia. They, they aim to be a, a top iron ore producer and, and are doing really sensible things to get there. And the, uh, the management and economics um, inside MinRes are probably superior. So I'd actually be selling Mount Gibson. I don't really see a, a sensible investment case to hold it. If you're, if you're bullish on iron ore, um, there are a couple of ideas that I, I think you do better out of rather than this one. Bonus buys to Terra and Mineral Resources. Mount Gibson for you. Henry Jennings, do you see the world differently? Uh, not really. I think Gaurav's pretty much nailed this one. It is a high-cost producer. They've got uh, some issues with overburden at the moment in terms of stripping ratios. They're going to have to strip a lot of uh, really poor quality resource off the top to get to the high quality stuff underneath that's going to take them the next quarter or next six months even to do that which is going to hold them back it is a pure iron ore play it loves high iron ore prices and people get really excited about it it has got a lot of cash uh, but with iron ore where it is at the moment you know if, if you really like iron ore just go with strength go with fortescue if, if that's the really the one you want uh, I've looked at Deterra and it is a bit of a uh, derivative of BHP with the south flank production coming out of that. It's, you know, it hasn't got the leverage, I guess, that Fortescue has and it hasn't got, I suspect, the, the, the green credentials that we're seeing coming out of Twiggy at the moment, which is good to see. So I'd go with Fortescue. I'm not a big fan of uh, Mount Gibson. It really does require big, big, big iron ore prices to get it motivated. Uh, it looks like it's bottoming, but I think if you, if, you know, go with Fortescue, it, it's just an easier bet if you're an iron ore bull. So would you sell it if you were still holding on? Um, I don't know about sell it. I think iron ore is, is making a, a few signs that we may see a, a bit of a temporary bottom, and it has got a big cash buffer as well. So you don't want to get too negative on it. But uh, I think the upside is probably limited at the moment as well. It's probably a sideways. If you held it, you'd probably continue holding it. You've obviously got good reasons to hold it. But if you're looking at uh, an iron ore play, I'd go with Fortescue every time. Thank you, bonus buy being Fortescue. Now let's get on to the third company on our list, Beam Tree Holdings for Phil, asking for us to have a look at it, wondering why the stock price dropped on no news or downgrades. It's back to levels pre-acquisition of potential. So this used to be PKS. It has uh, changed its 
branding, I suppose, to Beamtree this year. It's a data play. It's a data play in hospitals uh, that helps, um, you know, healthcare professionals, I suppose, understand patients better. I think that's that's the summary of it. Henry, what do you think? Why, I suppose, has share price been coming under such pressure? Um, well, I guess it's, it's the problem for a lot of companies like this. It's a small cap company. I've actually owned it in our small cap portfolio since about 17, 18 cents. So it's done pretty well for us. Probably should have sold it at uh, the high 60s, but that's another story. This one did change its name and it did do a big acquisition. Potential is what it says. It has got potential. And the problem with a lot of acquisitions is getting the synergies, bedding things down. It does take a while. And a lot of these small cap stocks, if there's no good news or no news coming out, they do tend to drift. Admittedly, this one seems to have drifted somewhat more aggressively than others, uh, but it can be quite thin as well. So you've got to bear that in mind. It's not the most highly liquid of stocks. I still like the stock, but I think, you know, acquisitions take a while to bed down. There's egos at play. There's synergies they've got to extract. And small companies taking over other small companies Sometimes they haven't got the skill set to carry it off as quickly as they would like. And I think that's probably bearing down on it at the moment. Long term, I think this has got good, good potential. And I still like the story, but it just needs to get through this indigestion, get this acquisition, tell the market how the, the synergies is going, how the acquisition is going. And uh, I think it will be back up towards that 60 level again. So for me, this is probably a buy around 50 cents, but it is quite illiquid. So bear that in mind. And you do still own it in the fund. Is that correct? So money do. where your mouth is holding on to it. Yeah. Uh, Gaurav, is there any reason to be buying Beamtree today? I mean, is there value in it considering the pressure that the share price has come under? Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one. So we, I did have a quick look at this um, when it was PKS, and it was involved in a significant merger with a similar business called Pavilion. And the idea there was to bring um, these two kind of um, integrated software um, uh, software products together to be able to supply hospitals with um, data analytics and, um, and and benchmarking software, decision support software, um, things that, that we kind of sound really important, but if I'm honest, I really don't know how they work inside a hospital system. Um, and I thought that would be the end of it. And when that merger, it worked okay. And then since then, the entity has gone on to actually continue to buy other businesses. Um, Potential was one. There's actually another one that they bought after that as well. And I'm just, I'm, I'm very wary of these small $100 million businesses that, that go off and, and start buying a lot of other businesses. Um, you know, when you're buying a small cap, when you're, when you're buying especially sort of a, a 100 or sub $100 million business, what you really want to be doing is looking for a small business that can grow into a big business. Maybe it's got a great product or maybe they've got this wonderful strategy. Maybe they've um, solved a, an important problem. What, what you don't want to do, you don't want to buy a small business that's trying to become a big one by taking over lots of other businesses. That's more financial engineering than it is entrepreneurship. And it's not the way I would go about my small cap investing at all. So I, I just don't really like the strategy here. There's, there's a lot of insider ownership. Look, the people involved seem sensible and competent. Um, the balance sheet looks fine. Look, and the valuation is actually quite attractive. I, I just don't like um, the, I don't see what the strategy is here. And they're, they're acquiring lots of different software businesses. 
and aren't really seeing a, a, a value being generated from those acquisitions. They're just kind of one plus mm. one equal two acquisitions, and I just don't see the point of that. I'd actually be avoiding this um, until there's a, there's a as clear a strategy at work here. Um, there's a whole lot of small caps that just want to become big caps, and the best way to do that is to buy other businesses. It's not the best thing for investors. There you go, Phil. That's the answer from Henry and Gaurav. Disagreement sort of makes the market, doesn't it? Let's get to Talga Group. TLG is the ticker code. Uh, why? It has some positive news, but again, the share price has dropped significantly. Uh, Talga Group for from you, Henry Jennings from Marcus today. Uh, well, this is a, uh, I guess, a, a battery anode company. They've just announced an agreement today with, uh, or last week, with Longtime Technology, uh, which has been uh, driving, I guess, drove the share price higher, but then it kind of fell all the way out of bed again. So um, that was um, that was interesting. And I guess, you know, a lot again, of Again, it was an MOU. So this is not anything sort of financial yet. It's an MOU with this no. Longtime Technology. Big fanfare though, and we, we we love a good MOU. Big yeah. fanfare, lots of uh, lots of press releases, but not really sure it's done much. I'm not a massive fan of this one. It's been around a long time, trying really hard. It has spiked recently, and I guess it's part of the whole lithium and battery tech space, and that has obviously been driven very high. It's also in Europe. It's uh, you know it's got sw the Swedish appeal to some extent, and they're trying to be all things to all men in the battery anode business. I'm just not sure this is where I would place my um, my battery anode money. I have to say, and I think the market reaction in the last few days probably says that there's still some skeptics out there. I'm, I'm, they've got a bit of cash in the bank, 46 million bucks in the bank, capitalised at around 450 odd million. And um, yeah, I, I I could go with a hold. I wouldn't be a seller, but uh, you know, I think some of these things you just have to sell into the strength. When they spike to two twenty, that's uh, that's a good opportunity to get out. I think and go with perhaps a little bit more, um, a little bit less risk in your portfolio. Mm. So not not for me. It's a hold. But battery anodes are so sexy, Gaurav. Everybody wants okay. to get a little bit of battery in their portfolio. Look, if there's one part of the market that you need to be really careful of at the moment, it's this environmental battery ESG theme that's going around. Um, we've actually taken the opposite side. So, um, uh, you know, we've been buying energy and coal, um, as you know, Nadine, of, of late. And um, I would be very wary of this. Uh, of all the um, bombastic announcements and the, the crazy irrationality that we're starting to see in this area. I'm actually going to be waving the flag for the skeptics on Talga. I, I, I cannot understand what you're getting for your money here. This is a $500 million business, and this is how they describe themselves, right? They say they developed a natural graphite, natural graphite anode product with high ionic diffusivity. What the hell does that mean? These guys, they don't have a, they have a mind. <laughs> in Switzerland, which they're trying to get up and going, but then they have all this processing, upstream processing that they want to do as well. Um, so you're looking at a business that's not just a miner, but it's a it's going to be a heavy processor as well. Um, and you you should see some evidence of this in the financials if they're actually doing what they're going to say, that what they're saying they're going to do, but there's no evidence of it at all. Since um, 2016, they spent less than $1 million a year on CapEx. Last year, they spent $7 million on drilling, and the year before that, $5 million on drilling. 
Now, to put that on into some sort of context, they're spending $5 billion a year on administration and paying themselves. So they're doing that very well. Mm. Now, the balance, now, you'd think that if they were working on something that was actually um, feasible and workable, they'd be expensing the, that cost or they'd be capitalizing it on the balance sheet. Well, they're not capitalizing anything. There's only $5 million of assets, non-cash assets on balance sheet, so no capitalization. And as I just said, they're not expensing much either. So I can't, can't actually see what this business is doing here. I'd be avoiding it, selling it as fast as I could, and, uh, and uh, wouldn't even look at it again. A big red flag and so Got it. Thank you. That's Talga. Now, number five on the list is for Ben. He's asking about Altium, it's approaching all-time highs, wondering if the share price will push on through the 42 mark in the short to medium term. Context is everything, correct, gentlemen? Bought Altium at $5 back in 2016. He keeps getting some mixed messages about, you know, letting your winners run versus selling, taking profits when prices are, are you know, are inflated. He's just, he doesn't know if genuinely he should hold or sell. Now, I happen to know that Intelligent Investors put out some thinking on Altium just today. So I will start with you, Gaurav Sodi. Yeah, we actually own Altium and have done for a little while. Um, I actually think the, the investment case now is probably better than it was at $5. We had a look at this when it was um, only a couple of dollars. And back then, Altium was a challenger to some really large businesses. And they were trying to go, you know, chase smaller customers and larger customers that are precarious balance sheet. And I thought the task at hand was really difficult. And they've, they've just done splendidly. And, and now they're actually the market leader and they're trying to do something even more ambitious. They're trying to integrate the entire electronic um, circuit board industry. So that means the design, um, the parts acquisition and the production of circuit boards they're aiming to do all on a single Altium platform. It would be revolutionary for the business, for the industry rather. And um, the cornerstone of that is the Altium 365 product, which is actually getting really good traction. Now, if they can actually implement everything they, they say they can, I reckon this is potentially $100 a share worth of value here. Um, and they are miles above the, ahead of the competition. Um, here, management tell it they're three to five years ahead. And I think that's probably an understatement from what we can see. So there's, there's still a lot of potential here. Um, we're happy holders for the long term. Um, and um, management here has executed really, really well. But I really like that long term vision. Um, you know, they're, they're actually trying to do something different from their peers. I love the ambition on display. And so far, they're actually hitting um, almost all their milestones as well. Um, so I'd actually be holding on to this. I don't think it's a buy just yet. Um, we've got a buy um, much cheaper, around the $30 mark. Um, but um, I'd certainly be holding it. And on, on pullbacks, this is one you can pick up and hold for the long term. There's, uh, I think you'll look back in, in 10 years and, and look at this as a, um, as a real opportunity um, because I think this is going to be a much more successful business than it is now. And, Gaurav, there could always be another tilt made for Altium as well. I mean, we had Autodesk desk making mm -hmm. that offer for the company a little bit earlier on. Now, I know you wouldn't buy in hopes of any sort of a takeover offer, but if it's so desirable in terms of the technology itself, Gaurav, I mean, there, there could be somebody else come out of the woodwork to make a bid for the company, wouldn't you think? I, I would hope not, because these guys have a set strategy, and if it works, this is probably worth, this is at least a... Um, you know, could get to $100 a share if everything works. So I would hate for someone to come in and 
and sneak it um, on the cheap. Um, luckily, we've got some some really well incentivized and uh, and stakeholder friendly management on on board. So I think it's going to be hard to get a takeover over the line. But it's it is a possibility. It's not why I'm there, mm-hmm. but it is a possibility. I'd be annoyed if this thing got taken over, to be honest. Yeah, right. Well, we need all of our tech companies as well to keep a bit of diversity <laughs> in this index. How about you, Henry? Would you buy, hold, or sell? Considering, and I know that this is not financial advice, definitely not to your personal circumstances. Uh-huh. But do you think that the mm-hmm. upside in Altium justifies still holding, even though he bought it five dollars? Well, you know, Ben's done very, very well holding this one, I have to say. And I think he really answered his own question about whether he should be um, holding or uh, or selling into it. He's held this for you know, five, six years, I'd imagine. So I, I can't see any reason why you'd be looking at selling this at the moment. You've, you've been through the troughs. You've been through the, the bid and the disappointment when the bid fell over. And uh, as Gaurav says, there's only really upside from here. They've just reaffirmed their guidance. Everything looks pretty good for these guys. They are in a unique space and they are executing. And I think, you know, Autodesk must be kicking themselves that they really didn't push through with the bid because uh, in retrospect now, they, they probably would have stolen the company. So I think for Ben, I would certainly be holding. And if they pulled back below 40 bucks, I think I'd be adding to them as well. This is this is a quality success story, and they're hard to find these sort of technology mm-hmm. stocks in our market that really stack up at this sort of scale. Um, you know, there's lots of ones out there that are wannabes, but these are actually delivering. And you know, as Jerry Maguire would say, show me the money, and these guys are showing us the money. They, <laughs> they really are. So we've had that come up twice. I think. <laughs> I know. Well, I like Jerry, um, but uh, you know, I, I think this is a, any, any weakness in this because you know, if, if there's okay. a bit of a, a tech sell-off in the U.S., I think this is a buy. Got it. Thank you. All right, you guys have a bit of a sip of water, and I will wrap up what we've learned so far. The stock of the day is not a buy; it's a miss for Gorav. He points out to uh, you know this lack of entrepreneurial spirit. Um, actually, he's, it's an extraordinary display of entrepreneurial spirit, but he just doesn't. Um, yeah, he's, he's not convinced about the story overall. Western areas would be a preferred pick in the space. Poseidon Panoramic for Henry Jennings for Marcus today. He points out to Sovereign Risk. Gorev agrees as well. Veeam, uh, look, it's not got a lot. Uh, going for it in terms of Henry Jennings' view, he says it's not a good look having the uh, you know the inside selling. It's a bit of an overhang on the company. Gorav says, look, it's a hold. It's doing some interesting things in that space, and that the sell was to inject some liquidity in the market. He doesn't see it as a big problem, but it is sort of a long-term view while the company uh, learns to sell and really get its product to market. In terms of Mount Gibson, look, it's a hold for Henry. He doesn't see any reason to sell, but he's not a fan of it just because of the high cost. He'd prefer Fortescue Metals. Gorov would prefer Deterra and Mineral Resources. He'd actually sell Mount Gibson, though, if you're a holder, because it is a small producer and um, he doesn't believe that it's uh, value when you consider the product that it's pushing and the prices it receives. Beam Tree, it's a hold for Henry. He still likes it, uh, even though he's seen the hold come under pressure. Uh, But Gaurav is a bit wary of the business model because it's just buying those smaller businesses in the space. So it's not uh, really entrepreneurial. So it's an avoid for Gaurav. Now, when it comes to Calga, it was 
an absolute sell coming from Gaurav Sodhi. He's very wary. He says you need to be careful of all these companies in that battery anode space making big promises. It is a hold for Henry if you've already got it. He would sell, though, into strength. He, too, is skeptical. Why sell? Altium is uh, Henry's summary there. And Gorav just thinks it's a great long-term hold. Not a buy. You'd buy it around $30. Uh, but he thinks that the investment case is better now than it was even when it was at $5. So there you go. Now, none of those companies are going into our portfolio, the portfolio that we've been tracking since July 1st of last year. And this is thanks to our partner, Nabtrade. All the companies, so this is, you have to get two thumbs up or a buy on the same day from both of our guests. Let's check in on the performance weekly. Well, we're six tenths of a percent lower, close to seven tenths of a percent, if I'm honest. One month return up by two and a half percent year to date, up more than 10 percent. But since the inception of the fund, up close to 49 percent. Think having an SMSF is hard? Well, think again. Set up your own SMSF completely online with Stake Super and invest your super with freedom. There's no paperwork and Stake does all the admin. You just focus on the investing. I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit here. Regis Resources. This is for Josh. RRL is the ticker code. This one's for you, Gorab. First, have your, ha, has your view changed on Regis after its recent results announcement, which resulted in a bit of a sell-off? Gorab. No, this is actually a really good uh, gold miner. And, you know, I'm amazed at how often I find myself saying that these days. You know, having having been in in the uh, sort of mining game for a long time, I've I've my default position is usually that gold miners are lousy, crappy businesses, and usually that's that's been correct. But over the last few years, we've just had this transformation in the gold sector where we've got these really high quality gold businesses that are well managed, allocating capital well, caring about return on capital, um, and uh, there's a whole bunch of them. And and the interesting thing is that their share prices have not really moved along with the gold price. Uh, the Aussie old gold miners are growing some of the highest margins on record, and you'd never know it by looking at the equity values. Um, I would actually classify Regis as one of the best in the sector. Um, really good quality mines. They paid too much for their recent acquisition of Tropicana, no doubt about that. But um, look, over time, I think even that sin will be forgiven. The big problem with Tropicana, uh, with, with Regis really, um, is, is they've got a large hedge book. And they've got 300,000 ounces hedged at sort of 1,500 bucks an ounce, which is $1,000 less than the spot price. And that's really, um, that's holding back their financials. And it doesn't look as good as other gold miners simply because um, the financials don't reflect the higher gold prices that other, other peers are getting. Now, that hedge book should start rolling off in 2024, I think it is. So, and they've got they've got a decade they've got decades of production they've got plenty of um, reserves they've got plenty of production going so look I don't think that's going to be a long term handbrake on the business it's well managed it's generating lots of cash flow you can currently buy it at around book value and and I think you can generate sort of double digit returns on assets over time even at normalized gold prices so uh, this is potentially half price from here. Um, uh, Regis deserves a place alongside Evolution, Gold Road and Remelius as I think the best for gold miners on the market and, and I'd be buying it. 
That's a buy from Gaurav Sodhi. What about you, Henry Jennings? I mean, wouldn't you look for some of that news flow to result in a bit of an uptick in the share price before you'd be buying? Uh, well, maybe. I, I guess the key to this is uh, out your way, Nadine, out at Blaney with the McPhillamy's mm. project, uh, which they're hoping to get mm. approvals for next year. The timing is somewhat out of their control, but certainly that could be a catalyst for this one. It has been just sliding into oblivion. I, you know, to me, if, if you're going to buy a gold miner, then the reason is you're getting leverage to the gold price. If, if they've got such a massive hedge book, uh, even though it rolls off in two, three years' time, you're not getting that leverage to the gold price. You are going to get leverage through McPhillamy's. I, I really, this for me is still a hold. I think there's better gold plays around, maybe even Bellevue. I like De Grey. I've held that for a while. But um, yeah, no, I, I'm not a massive fan of this mainly because of that hedge book. And I want gold companies that have got leverage to the upside in the gold price. Otherwise, it's just, you know, you're just kind of locked into a cycle. And this one at the moment is locked into a cycle. There's always the risk, of course, that they will raise money to uh, to negate those hedges and unwind that hedge book. A lot of gold companies have done that in the past. I think Newcrest was one of the biggest ones that unwound its global uh, gold hedge book. So, you know, you look at Evolution, I think that's still the quality company. Jake Klein is still, I think, uh, one of the best deal makers around. We saw that last week with the deal he did and the instant 10% uplift there for that one with their purchase of uh, the rest of Ernest Henry. So Evolution, DeGray, Bellevue, uh, Regis for me is a hold. If they got McPhillamy's up and running in terms of approvals, then uh, maybe that's the catalyst. But otherwise, the hedge book does put me off a little bit. Thank you. Let's keep going with Suncorp Group, S-U-N, as we know is a ticker code for Lena, saying I'd like to request the panel's opinion. She likes to buy shares that pay a good dividend but do not, well, decrease in value. Is it a good time to buy or should I wait? Might she be able to buy it cheaper a little bit later down the track? Today trading at uh, just shy of $11, down by six-tenths of 1%. Gaurav, income worth it? Is, it, is the dividend you know, justified and uh, a buy now. Look, Suncorp is a solid business, Nadine. Um, it's not growing particularly well or, or much, I should say. It's not growing very much, but it, it is a solid business. It's it's a well-managed company. Um, there's very little to say <laughs> to say about it, um, either good or bad, really. I mean, it's a it's a combination insurer and and bank and i think the there's always a possibility of someone coming up and and breaking that apart and and i think if you did that you probably generate a little bit of additional value so that that's always there as a as an optional upkick but really this is a a quite a a boring stable business um that should deliver sort of six seven eight percent return on equity over time which means you probably want to pay around book for it, around 10 bucks a share. That's where I think it's worth. That's trading about that now, and I think it's probably fair value. The um, the dividend should be about 5 to 6%. I think that's sustainable, and uh, if, if you're after a dividend, I think you'll get a sustainable yield of around that much from this stock here, and you probably get a bit of optionality around a potential breakup at some stage, which which I think, look, they're, they're, because there is value to be had by doing that, I think it's likely to happen over time. 
Um, it'll probably happen against the company's will, but probably will happen. I'm going to go hold. I just don't see a lot of growth from here. But if you are a dividend investor, then then I don't see a problem buying this for the yield, which I think is sustainable. Thank you. Henry, do you see it any differently? Uh, no, not really. There has been some stories in the newspapers that maybe they're considering a breakup from the bank and the insurance company side of things so they, they do demerge one or split the company into two. I, I do have a problem with insurance companies these days. We are seeing the effects of climate change with wind and hail. Uh, they had some issues with that recently, floods, etc. It's, it's not a great business insurance uh, at the moment. It, it's fraught with risks to say the least. I, I think this is a pretty dull, boring stock to be honest, uh, relatively okay yield. And um, I can't see any different to, uh, to to Gaurav. I must admit, it's it's not you're not going to punch the lights out with this one, and you're not going to lose a, a hell of a lot of money, and you're going to get a relatively good yield on it. So, um, but the insurance side does worry me. I think insurance companies at the moment generally are, are troublesome because of the risks with uh, with climate change. Okay, I'm going to call that a hold then, because you wouldn't be rushing out to buy. Yeah, you can call it a hold. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's get to the next company on the list, gentlemen. Thank you. You've rolled with the punches very well. And uh, coming up for Tim is EHL Emco Holdings. What do you think? I'm going to start with you, Henry. Uh, I don't mind Emco. I've got to say, these guys uh, are basically they own a lot of Tonka toys and they rent them out to people. And they got um, they got pretty bashed in the past because a lot of people were expecting them as they rebuilt the balance sheet to uh, to pay dividends to investors. Now, they didn't really do that. What they did was invest back in the business and buy more plant and machinery to rent out, which actually is probably what you want in a company like this. I guess they've got the same problems as a lot of mining services companies have at the moment in terms of uh, access to sites in some cases, in terms of some of the business falling off because of COVID restrictions in WA, that sort of thing. But I don't mind this one in, in, in mining services. It's probably one of the better ones. They've just recently uh, guided to uh, top end in terms of EBITDA, and uh, they're seeing growth in all segments. And I, I think ultimately their investment in Tonka Toys is going to pay off. They have got a buyback in place now, so they have got some uh, balance sheet management going. I don't mind this one at these levels, and I think uh, as the, the, the WA side of things opens up and maybe we see an increase in mining activity, I think these guys should do okay. So. For me, this is actually probably a small buy at the moment. I'm going to put a buy on this one at these kind of levels. Buy for Emico. Look, Macquarie has an outperform on the company. Uh, look, management is expecting a better second half as some of the headwinds from WA's well, labor shortages, border closures start to abate and uh, caution amongst East Coast miners start to lift as well. Gaurav, what do you think of Emico? Look, it's just a poor quality business, Nadine. Um, you know, Henry got it right. They've got a, a, a big bunch of equipment that they lease out, and you can never really make excess returns over time from a business like that. Because if if your trucks are attracting really high lease rates, then more trucks come onto the market, or miners decide to to buy a fleet themselves, and so it really caps your upside. And you can see from its past performance that it's got you know wild cyclicality. Um, often a, a very debt-heavy balance sheet, um, chronic competition. It is all the things you, 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 you want. And, I mean, all the things you see in a terrible business are present in Emico. And the only reason I buy this is in a really distressed 
situation um, where the mining sector is really bombed out. In fact, we've done this in the past. We bought this at 30 um, or 20 percent of book in the past when the mining sector is really bombed out and no one wants to touch it. In fact, when these businesses shrink, they actually release a lot of cash because they often sell assets and stop buying new ones. And so a lot of cash actually finds its way um, out the, out, um, away from the business. And when it's growing, they often find themselves investing in new machinery. And so it actually gets more capital intensive as, as the business grows. And as the cycle is 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 really um, going well, the, the business is actually more capital intensive, mm-hmm. which is probably the opposite of what you'd want. Um, and the, the fate of Emico is actually the opposite of the fate of the big miners. The big miners have recently, or recently, in the last five years or so, just stopped reckless spending. They're really careful with CapEx, and they've just been watching their um, CapEx dollars really closely. So being a supplier to the big miners used to be a windfall. It's now the equivalent of supplying woolies. You know, it's something you do with trepidation and fear and with a razor-thin margin. So I, I don't think this is this is um, investment grade unless it's done at really, really cheap prices, which this is not. So sell and avoid for me. Sell and avoid. Let's get on to the next company on our list for Jesse, which is Treasury Wine Estates. Guys, we had some news recently from Treasury Wine Estates that it bought a Napa Valley producer to fill a hole, plug a hole in its offerings, but also, I mean, market reads into it with China no longer, uh, you know, the best option. Um, you want to make bigger moves into the U.S. Is that enough to get you buying, Gorev? This is a really tricky one, Nadine. Um, I think of Treasury as really two different businesses. And um, if you look at the accounts in aggregation, you see just an okay quality business when in fact what you need to do is you need to separate um, penfolds from the rest of the business. And when you do that, you realize you have a super high quality, excellent business in penfolds and a really ordinary, lousy business with the rest of the company. Uh, and the decision really comes to, do you want to buy a diluted penfolds or do you not? And, and for me, that, that decision is probably no. If they decided to split this business up, I, I would be really interested in Penfold. I don't see why they need to hold all this other rubbish because it, it is it is the rest of the X Penfold is a terrible company and all it does is dilute um, a very good quality business um, inside Penfolds. Penfolds, just for some um, context, accounts for 10% of the volume of TWE, but um, 50% of the profit. It makes 2.5x the gross margin of any other brand. We're talking a wine brand making 70% um, gross margins, which is just really industry leading and unheard of. I reckon just Penfolds alone is probably worth five to $6 billion, even if we consider all the mess that's going on with China. And the rest of the portfolio owns margins of 10% or so. Um, and I think it's worth maybe a billion or $2 billion at best. So I'm gonna give it a miss. I think it's fair value where it is, but really, um, the, the rest of the companies did a drag on, on Penfolds. And if they split this company up, we should all be pining for Penfolds and probably avoid Treasury. Okay, so that's an avoid. What about you, Henry Jennings, TWE? Pining, pining for Penfolds. I, I know, like it, I caught right. it as well. Uh, I've got to say, <laughs> you like that one. Uh, I have to say, I, I've liked TWE for a long time. It has sort of... Um, it's done pretty well. I think they've done a really good job in pivoting away from China. They've done a really good job in, in driving the premium aspect of this company upstream as 
as Gaurav was saying, in terms of penfolds, it's it's a massive money spinner. I think Frank's Wines as well fits into that. It fills a hole. Uh, luxury Chardonnay, and uh, that they're charging you know two three hundred dollars a bottle for some of their really um, top shelf stuff from uh, from Frank. So I think this plays into the penfold story. I like TWE. I think ultimately it will be taken over, and someone will do the expensive surgery needed. Uh, getting rid of the the, uh, the more populous wines and keeping the premium side of things and putting that into their stable. So I, I'm going to have a buy on this one. I prefer to buy it in the mid 11s, but uh, even at 12 bucks, I think long term this one still has appeal. I think they've done a good job in pivoting away from China. Thank you. So another disagreement between my two expert guests today. Boy, it's been hard to get a buy out of Gorov, I will say. No pressure. The last company on the list for Jen is Polynovo. Gorov, would you be buying today? No. <laughs> but this is actually a, a, a pretty interesting business and um, has the makings of a decent quality company as well. Um, it is a billion dollars, mind you, and, and for that you don't get a lot of revenue, but the but the product itself is is really good. And from the research that we've done, um, it gets very good reviews and um, and is really well supported by the health systems. Um, so it's already got regulatory approval. So the, let's just step back for a moment. The product itself is, is a um, is a, um, a wound dressing. Um, mm -hmm. It's a man-made wound dressing that helps um, sort of uh, create another layer of skin on on uh, on deep uh, wounds. And it's been approved by most regulators already. It's already earning revenue. Um, it, the financials don't look great, but what you have to understand is that there's a lot of upfront R&D in this business. So if you just look at the actual product margins, they're super high, around 80% or so. So this has the makings of a very good quality business. And I, I like that management is actually pivoting into new adjacencies as well. So looking at this product and then trying to get it to work for hernia applications. And there's probably a whole bunch of other use cases as well that haven't been explored yet. Now they have to do that because the, the primary patent runs out in 2029. So they have to actually get some new use cases going mm -hmm. to actually make more money. I reckon um, there, there's potential to, to get $100 million in revenue rather quickly. And um, it's not difficult to get justify the valuation, but there are a few things that are holding me back. One is that there's been some senior resignations. The CEO and the COO have both left. There's been some insider selling, and when you look at wound dressings, the the wound ha the, the dressing has to repair uh, two layers of skin, an outer layer and an inner layer. These these guys only repair uh, one of those layers, and there's new competition on the market currently being assessed by the FDA that FDA they can actually um, repair both layers of skin. And I just wonder how good that that technical moat is around this company. Yeah. Um, I would say hold if you've got it. There's, there's the makings of a really good business here and the price isn't as scary as it sounds, but some of those qualitative things, you know, the, the senior management resignation, the insider selling, that probably holds me out for, for now, but, but hold, an interesting company. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that uh, resignation, so I'll look into that. Uh, Henry, is that enough to put you off? Yes, I think this isn't a void. It's been going down for a while. Its competitor in Australia is a Vita. Uh, AVH, uh, that's been going in a similar fashion. This is, you know, it's a big valuation, great product, no doubt, but it's taken them an eon to get uh, meaningful sales. I think with the market cap where it is, I think this is still massively overvalued and I wouldn't be touching it. 
Well, listen, gentlemen, I would continue talking for longer, but I'm getting the big wrap up from Koshi, who's outside the studio here. So I will have to thank you very briefly. Say goodbye. It's been a pleasure to have the chance to speak with you both. Thanks, guys. Good to see you. Thanks, Nadine. Thank you, guys. Thanks, All right, Gaurav. let's just quickly sum it up. So number six on the list was Regis. It is a buy from Gorav, so it was a little bit unfair because he did give us a buy, but it is a hold from Henry. He would prefer Bellevue de Grey's evolution. Number seven on the list, it is uh, Suncorp. Look, both were very unenthusiastic about Suncorp. It's a hold if you are into the dividend, but look, uh, Gorav says there's not going to be a lot of growth there. Emiko, it's a sell for Gorav. It's a poor quality business. He actually said it wasn't investment grade. It's a buy, though, for Henry Jennings because he believes that it's got a strong balance sheet and look, it could benefit from uh, what it's got going for it. And especially as uh, we continue to see infrastructure spend and the economy's reopening. TWE, it's a buy for Henry Jennings. He thinks that he's liked it for a long time. He thinks it will be taken over. He'd prefer to buy it in the mid-11s, but uh, still a buy today. Um, it's Penfolds that Gaurav really likes. Passion for Penfolds sounded like it to me. He would give it a miss, though at this time. Now, number 10, it's a pining for Penfolds. That's what it was. At number 10, it's an avoid for Henry Jennings, Paulie Novo. It is a hold for Gorav. You just heard the reasonings. I don't need to go into it because that brings us to the top of the hour. It is the end of the program for today, but don't forget we do it every day during the week and you can catch up via the podcast or online and you can get a company talked about by emailing the call at osbiz.com.au. You can check out that portfolio. Thanks to our partners, Navtrade at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.